Hi, my name is Ruben Porter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church, and it's great to have you on our podcast today. We hope this message encourages you, builds you up in your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Hey, Crossroads, it's uh, so good to be with you. And uh, as I said earlier, my name is Isaac. I'm one of the, the pastors here at Crossroads. And, um, and I'm looking forward to a, another humbling morning with you this morning. And I say humbling because for whatever reason, anytime I'm putting together a sermon and I'm trying to think about an illustration that would help us um, understand and relate to what we're going to be talking about that day, the, the illustrations I, I feel that God puts on my heart always either paint me in a bad light or just make me look like a strange guy. Whether it's, um, you know, an argument that I have with my wife and I say something really unhelpful or the fact that I, you know, feel a compulsion to match my socks with my outfit every day. Um, for whatever reason, God will not let me look cool when I preach. He just will not let me do it. You know, I'd love to share an inspiring story with you of how I, you know, was just, I did this thing and I was just, you know, being an awesome human being. But apparently today is not that day because this morning I'm going to start by sharing with you how much I love milk. This good old-fashioned blue-top milk. Uh, it's been my favorite drink since day one, and I, um, I have a glass at least every day, but often two and sometimes three. Um, I think, you know, in New Zealand it goes Fonterra is the biggest backer of the dairy industry, and then me in a close second. Um, I'm really holding the line there. I just love drinking milk. I don't like coffee. I'm not interested in tea. Just a nice cold glass of milk. In fact, if you uh, come over to my house and I make you a tea or coffee, I'll come over and I'll hand you your mug and then I'll sit down on the couch of mine and we'll be sitting there chatting away, bonding over, having hot drinks together. But secretly in my mug, it's just milk. And I've put it in a mug to make it look like I'm a normal adult like you. That's really what's going on. But I, I tell you this somewhat embarrassing fact to say that I can't imagine having to live life without being able to drink milk pretty much every day. Like if I go away on holiday or away to a conference and I'm staying in a hotel, I'll sometimes drink the little tiny ones that they put in the mini fridge just to get me through that day. And um, before I go away, I think about, you know, will I be able to drink milk while I'm gone? And I prepare myself for the fact that I might not be able to. It's weird. I'm weird. But now you know, and, and hopefully it'll be helpful for you in our, our journey this morning. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd hate to have to live life without being able to drink milk. It's important to me, and I prioritize it. And for people who are close to me, like my wife, uh, they would be concerned if I stopped drinking it, right? They would be concerned. They would think something's up, something must be wrong, because I do it every day, and I have the entire time that they've known me. Um, you know, it's, it's important to me. But, but I share that because I wonder, what would that thing be for the church? What is the one thing that if the church stopped doing it, you'd be concerned? What's something that's so important to the day-to-day -day life of the church that it would be unusual if the church didn't do it, that you couldn't imagine church living without? So what I'd love for you to do is just have a quick chat with the person next to you about that, what you think that might be. If you're watching online, you might want to put a comment in the comment section, or if you're listening later on, you might just want to think about it for a moment. But let's just take a quick minute to discuss that question, and then we'll come back together. What is one thing that if the church stopped doing it, you'd be concerned? So have a chat to the person next to you, and we'll come back in a moment. All right. Just want to point out, by the way, that I also have never broken a bone, so um, that's a bit of a promo for, for drinking milk. Um, but hey, I'm sure there was a number of different things you came up with as you were uh, considering that question, right? You might have said things like gathering together for worship, 
You know, that if Crossroads said, hey, we're not going to get together for Sunday gatherings anymore, that that would probably concern you, right? That would worry you. You may have also said something about praying, or you might have said something about teaching the Bible, right? There could be a whole bunch of different things that you could talk about. But for me, it would be something that we've actually talked about a lot over the last few years, and that is the commission that Jesus gave his church before he left in Matthew 28 when he told us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that he's given us. To me, it would be super weird if the church and the Christians that make up the church weren't doing that, because that's our purpose. That's the commission that we've been given. It's what we've been asked to do. But one of the questions that was asked in the 2023 New Zealand Church Life Survey was, what do you want your church to prioritize in 2024? And those who participated were able to select uh, three things. And I don't know how well you can read it from back there. So uh, what it ended up being uh, ranked was build strong community in church, spiritual growth, worship services that nurture faith, encouraging people to discover slash use their gifts, ensure that new people are included well in church life, create a clear vision for this church's future, ministry to children and youth, supporting social justice and care for needy, or encouraging people to share their faith and invite others. And as you can see, uh, in ninth place for Nationwide, right, with only 14% of participants putting it in their top three, was encouraging others to share their faith slash inviting others, and that means like inviting others into our church community. And I personally was really discouraged by that result for our country. Because when I read the Great Commission, and then I read how the early church responded to that commission, which we'll look at in a moment in the book of Acts, there is no doubt in my mind that what is number nine for New Zealand was number one for the early church. In fact, I think it would be totally unfathomable to the early church that sharing our faith and inviting others into our church community would be so far down our list. I think it would be crazy to them that New Zealand's top four things are all about us before getting to anything about anyone else. And even then, number five is ensuring new people feel well included, right? But who are the new people if we're not sharing our faith? It'd just be other Christians transferring from other churches. And so I was really discouraged by that result. But I was encouraged by the fact that Crossroads does buck that trend, right? For us, 34% of us said that that is a top priority for us to be sharing our faith and inviting others into our church community this coming year. And I think that's great. I think that's awesome, you know. And and over the next few years, I would love to see that percentage increase further and further. I'm so stoked to see that that is a high priority for us. And I think that is something worth celebrating. But we've got to continue on. We've got to press on. Well, it's so good to celebrate where we're at, that chart does not mean mission accomplished and job done. When it comes to keeping a church on mission to live out the Great Commission, we have to make sure we regularly think about it and talk about it to keep our finger on the pulse. In his book, Organic Outreach, Kevin Harney shares a story of talking about outreach with a a group of pastors at a conference. And, And this is what he has to say. He says, I asked these pastors, if you stopped doing Sunday worship, had no music, no sermon, no corporate worship experience, how long would it be before people noticed and declared, someone's not doing their job, we're not being the church? The pastors in the room, they thought for a moment, and then one pastor answered, one week. The consensus around the room for most people was that the church would rise up and express concern if there was no time or energy put into planning and executing a worship service for one week. 
There were one or two that thought they could get away with it for two, but that was definitely the maximum, one or two weeks. Kevin then pressed on a bit more, and he said, if you stop doing discipleship and spiritual growth of believers at your church, how long would it be until your church members and leaders would rise up and say, we're not being the church? If you stop doing stuff like uh, youth group or youth learning or kid studies or Bible studies or connect groups or, or other forms of spiritual formation, how long would you get away with it? The answers in the room, they range from two to four weeks. Kevin then pushed a little bit further and he said, if you did not do intentional evangelism, if you did not mobilize and equip your people to share their faith on a regular basis, how long would it be before your church noticed? The first pastor to answer with sober and piercing honesty said, it's been 10 years and counting. You see, sharing the good news of Jesus with others is one of the most important jobs of the church. It's, it's part of the mission of the church, but it's the first thing to go when you, when you stop intentionally focusing on it. And I, I think that's exactly what the enemy wants. But I also think that um, it can happen because being a part of the kingdom of God is a, a very different way to live, right? It's very different to the normal uh, human experience. Being a part of God's kingdom means that we live differently to the world around us. And even though we have the Holy Spirit to empower us and, and help us do that, we still often have to fight to live how God calls us to. And when we don't fight to live that way, we recede back into what is appealing to the human experience. And, and that can often mean that churches end up looking more like social clubs that appeal to our selfish desires rather than being the selfless communities that God has called them to be. And so though we have talked about the Great Commission a lot recently over the last few years, and, and I recognize that, we've got to talk about it again and again to keep us on mission, to keep us focused, to not let us lose sight of what is the purpose of the church. That's the one thing I, I don't mind you getting tired of me talking about. Uh, but to, to give you somewhat of a break, instead of spending time directly in the Great Commission passage, today we're going to look at an example in Acts chapter 8, where we see the early church responding to the Great Commission and living it out. And to, to give uh, a bit of context before we jump into the passage, in Acts 8, we're still in the early formation of the church. It's only been about a year since Jesus gave the Great Commission and ascended back into heaven, with the, the church operating through the power of the Holy Spirit ever since then, or not long after that. And in that first year, the church sees immense growth. So many people coming to know Jesus, thousands and thousands coming to know Jesus. And during the time, there is some opposition from the religious leaders, like the apostles get pulled up in front of the Jewish council. Uh, but for the most part, the church is able to grow without too much pressure or too much persecution from the people around them. But that changes in Acts chapter 7, where a follower of Jesus named Stephen is accused of blaspheming against God and Moses and saying things that he never actually said. And this results in his death. The Jewish leaders have Stephen stoned to death, and this moment is the catalyst for great persecution against Christians in the church. As a result, the, uh, many of the believers, they have to flee Jerusalem, and that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 8. It's immediately after Stephen's death, and the Christians are dispersing. And so this is what it has to say, uh, starting in verse 1. It says, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men, they came and they buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. 
Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were so eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. So great persecution comes upon the church and upon the Christians and and in Jerusalem. and, And then as a result, they flee. They have to disperse, right, and flee to the surrounding areas. And you would think that if you were fleeing for your life, you'd also be keen to keep a low profile, right? That if your Christian beliefs just got you into trouble, you'd probably want to stay quiet wherever you fled to in case you end up in the same situation again. Or just change tactics, you know, and and share your faith quietly if you get the opportunity, but try not to draw any attention to yourself. But that doesn't seem to be what the early church did at all, does it? They do the opposite, and they continue to proclaim the very thing that just got them into trouble in the first place. The very thing that was the reason that they had to flee. You see, for the early Christians, sharing the good news of Jesus was not optional. It could not drop down the priority list. You know, just one year prior, Jesus had given them the Great Commission, and so that's what they had to do. It's what they had to do. It's what it meant for them to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it meant for them to be the church, to share this good news that Jesus had died and risen again for the forgiveness of sins. And this good news could not drop down the priority list for them. They had to keep it number one. Even when it got them into trouble, even when they had to flee as a result, they kept on telling other people about Jesus, even if it meant that they might have to flee again and again or even face death. It's who they were. It's what they did. There was no other option for them when holding on to this commission that had been spoken over their lives. They fled, but the good news of Jesus continued to spread and stayed the number one most important thing in the life of these Christians. And so for us as as followers of Jesus, sharing the good news of Jesus with others is what we do. It's what we do. It's what we're about. No matter our circumstances, no matter our situation, that's what Christians do. And it really shouldn't be an option for us for that to drop any lower than our, most, our number one priority as followers of Jesus. And so that's the, the simple one-line truth of the sermon, right? Sharing your faith with others is what you do. And it's sort of like A plus B equals C. That's it. Thanks for coming now. Go and do that. You know, and those of us who preach, we love a good sort of a simple point like that. But I think that might also be where sermons fall short sometimes or maybe even also feel a a little dishonest because in reality, the human experience is never as straightforward as that, right? The reality is that from our passage, other than the example of Philip, which we'll get to soon and is incredible, we don't know how the rest of the believers went about doing this, went about sharing the good news. Um, You know, I'm, I'm just making assumptions by saying that they were loud and they were bold and how they proclaimed the good news. And so, you know, we need to be loud and bold as well. You know, here in New Zealand, we need to share our faith. We need to tell everyone. Um, but when we consider sort of a broader, more broader scope than that, and we consider fellow believers, you know, brothers and sisters in places like North Korea, it's very different, right? We know that they do share their faith. That's important to them and that, that Christianity is spreading rapidly. But they do have to be smart in how they go about it, right? If they go out into the street and loudly proclaim they're a Christian, they may cut short any future opportunities to share the gospel. So instead, quietly and discreetly, they share the gospel with people. And the Church of North Korea continues to grow right under the regime's nose, making it far more difficult to put a stop to that. And so, as a follower of Jesus, sharing the good news of Jesus is what you do. But it's not one size fits all. It's not one size fits all. 
I think it's, it can be really valuable for us to consider our culture, the environments we find ourselves in, the relationships that we have. Like for many of you, if you stood up on your desk tomorrow and you proclaimed the good news of Jesus, would that be effective? I don't know. That's not up to me to decide, right? That's up to the Holy Spirit. But I would guess probably not, right? I, I would assume it would make people in your office feel nervous, um, you know, um, and, and, and I feel comfortable saying that because when we read through the New Testament, we usually see the early Christians going to the places where they will have a platform to share the good news, where it would make the most sense for them to go. They go to the synagogues where they know they would be given an opportunity to share. They go to the town squares where philosophers often found debating life. They usually took the most obvious opportunities. That didn't mean that some people didn't get offended or that it wouldn't get them into trouble, but they often tactically started in the places where they knew they'd have a platform where they would be able to share the good news freely. And then along the way, God would provide other beautifully orchestrated moments, like when Paul and Silas got to share the good news of Jesus with the Philippian jailer after an earthquake opens up the prison, right? There's these, these great little moments where they just share the good news individually one-on-one. And so sharing the good news of Jesus isn't one-size-fits-all. You may want to consider the relationships you're building or the work environment that you're in and and other things of that nature. But, and this is really important, don't let that be an excuse to not share the good news of Jesus. Sometimes we can get so caught up in talking about how we should do it or how we shouldn't do it and all these different factors that we just end up not doing it at all. You know, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to jeopardize the relationships I've been building. I don't want to look weird, so I won't say anything yet but then yet never comes and we don't do it. It's a, it's a bit of a balance, right? And I hope I portray that well this morning. You know, I want us to recognize that sharing the good news of Jesus is what we do. It is what we do. But also be honest and recognizing that one size doesn't fit all. But we can't let that be an excuse or allow us to be complacent because we do need to share it. We do need to share the good news of Jesus. It's what we've been called to do. So what do we do? How do we do it? How do we strike that balance of recognizing we need to do it, but it's not one size fits all? Well, what I have found most effective in my life in recent years is that I just let God know that I want to. I just let him know that I want to, that that I'm keen to share the good news with people, and I trust that he's going to answer that. And then I just keep an eye out for those opportunities that I trust that he's going to provide. And if a day goes by and I don't get an opportunity, I don't beat myself up about it because I've given it to God. He knows my heart. He knows my desire. He knows that I'm keen to share. And if an opportunity didn't come up, then I'll just go to bed and then I'll get up the next day and I'll be ready to go again. And then if it doesn't come for a week or a week after that, that's okay. I'll just continue to be ready. And sometimes suddenly there will be a whole bunch of opportunities that come up back to back and it's a, a really exciting time and, and you know, something to celebrate. But then after that, sometimes another couple of weeks go by. And again, I'm ready, I'm willing. And when another opportunity comes up, I will take it. But I'll leave it in God's hands to orchestrate those moments. For example, a couple of weeks ago, I, I had the opportunity to, to see somebody give their life to the Lord. And it was really cool. It was really exciting. But then earlier this week, um, I was walking into New World. And I had my earbuds in because I'd walked over from the church to grab a few things. And I felt a prompting from the Spirit that I should take my earbuds out. So I did, and I thought, oh, okay, this might be an opportunity. I better be alert. So I'm in there. I'm making my way through New World. I'm, I'm keeping an eye out. You know, is, is there an opportunity here to share the good news of Jesus with someone? But I got to the checkout, and I finished, and none presented itself. There, there wasn't the opportunity that I thought maybe was going to be there. And so I don't know why I felt that prompting, 
but I'm not upset about it. You know, I'm not upset about it. I felt God prompt me. I was obedient to that prompt. Nothing seemed to come of it, but I made sure I was alert, and I don't think God would be trying to hide opportunities from me, so maybe that prompt was for another reason. You know, maybe it was just an opportunity to test my obedience and see if I would respond when prompted. I don't know. I don't know, but I'll just continue waiting for the next opportunity. And, and maybe I'm wrong about that. You know, maybe I should be far more proactive about that. But I tell you what, I'm not stressing about it. And I do feel a peace about it. You know, in, in the past, I used to be so hard on myself. Oh, you didn't share the gospel with the girl behind the checkout. Another opportunity missed. Another person who doesn't know the love of Jesus because you didn't say anything. You're doing a terrible job as a Christian. But I just don't believe that's how God wants me to feel about myself and how, I want, how he wants me to live. For someone who is meant to be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, I just see no room for self-hate and stress and pressure that I was, and the anxiety that I was putting on myself to share the good news of Jesus at every single moment. And I'm not trying to earn any favor from God. You know, He loves me. He's already forgiven me of all my sins. So instead, I just say, God, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. I'm so keen to share your good news. And so I give that into your hands. I pray that you would give me opportunities to do exactly that. And I find doing so keeps me on mission, right? It keeps me focused, recognizing that sharing the good news of Jesus is what I do. But it also takes a whole lot of pressure off of myself because I know that I've given it to God. He's in control. He can handle that and he can bless that. So instead of me trying to say, you know, in New Zealand context, you need to say this or you need to say that or you need to be thinking about this and, and don't do that. You know, I just want to encourage you to posture yourself towards God and say, I just want to share your good news. I just want to share your good news. Please answer this prayer and give me opportunities and leave that into his hands and trust that he will answer, that he will provide. Maybe later in life I'll have more to say on that or more I think we should do. But at this point in my faith journey, that's really all I have to offer. It's all I've been doing. And I've been finding it far, I've been finding far more peace about doing it that way. And I've still been finding plenty of opportunities. In fact, I've probably been finding more opportunities than I did when I was putting all the pressure on myself to find them myself. Is it complacency? Maybe. Maybe it is, but I'm finding the joy and peace of the Lord in it, so I'm inclined to believe I'm heading in the right direction and finding that balance that I've been looking for. And so follow, as followers of Jesus... Sharing the good news of Jesus with others is what you do. So let God know that you're keen and let him lead you in that. Let him provide opportunities. We don't know exactly how the believers in Acts 8 shared the gospel as they fled Jerusalem, but they did. They did. That is what they did. It's what they were about. And all we can do is trust that God led them in that. He guided them in that. And we can trust that he will do the exact same for us. But we are given one incredible example, the example of Philip. And man, there is so much that we can learn from what he did, right, and how he shared the good news. There's something in particular that I found really valuable. You know, Philip, he goes to the city of Samaria and tells the people there about the Messiah. The crowds, they listen intently uh, to Philip because they're so eager to hear the message and, and see the miraculous signs he did. He casts out evil spirits. He, he heals the, the paralyzed and the lame. And there's great joy in that city. There's great joy in that city. You know, even when people make it loud and clear that they aren't interested in Jesus, there are still plenty of people who would be so keen. So don't let the naysayers discourage you. Don't let them lead you to believe that people don't want to hear the good news of Jesus because they do. 
As Drew said earlier, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, and that's a truth that still stands today. Jesus never put a time limit on that. That's just a reality all the time. You know, sometimes when we, we watch things like the news, it can be so easy to believe that everybody has totally moved on from Christianity and isn't interested at all, that we're a very small minority, that their personal convictions would never be able to align with faith. But I actually think that's a vocal minority. There are plenty of regular people out there totally happy to consider spiritual things that are open to exploring ideas like Christianity and talking about them with you. It's sort of like when you observe American politics from afar, right? From here, it can seem so polarizing in that everyone has one extreme view or the other. But when you live there, you realize that as well as those people who do have polarizing views, because they definitely exist, there are plenty of people that are just somewhere in the middle. They're just not as loud as the other guys. And so from afar, it's not as obvious that many of them don't feel or agree with the things that you see on TV. And there are plenty of people living here in New Zealand just minding their own business, not kicking up a big fuss about anything that would totally be open to hearing what you have to say. Probably far more than we think. In fact, I even believe that right here in Palmas North, we could have our very own moment of great joy in this city. You know, I feel like God is stirring something. It's been really cool since the start of this year. It's actually unusual for us to have a week where we're not baptizing somebody. And I think that's incredible. It's cool to see what God is doing in our city. And I think if all believers in our city recognize that sharing our faith is what we do and we gave it into God's hands, we could see salvations like we've never seen before. And that Palmerston North would be known as a city filled with people who love and know Jesus. I genuinely believe that. But I'm not going to wait for everyone else. I'm going to start with me and hope that that day does come. But I'm going to continue to share the good news of Jesus until it does. And if it doesn't, I'm still going to keep sharing because I'm excited to see people come to know Jesus. No matter if it's a lot of people or a few people, it's worth sharing for those people who do come to know him. But imagine if Philip, based on his experience of persecution, decided not to say anything. It'd be a very different story, right? Don't let the naysayers let you believe that people don't want to know because people do want to know. Even though the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem didn't want to know, the people of Samaria wanted to know and the whole city experienced great joy. And I think that's really valuable for us to understand because when we let God know that we're keen to share our faith and we put that into his hands and an opportunity comes up, it doesn't have to feel so scary because you recognize, hey, this person may actually genuinely want to know what I have to say. They may genuinely be interested in this. This doesn't have to be as big of a deal as I maybe once thought it was because not everyone is, ad is as adversarial as I have been led to believe. Sharing the good news of Jesus with others is what you do. It's what you do. It's what the early church did, and even under immense persecution, it's what they continued to do because there was just no way that that could drop down the priority list. It had to stay number one. And I believe the same should be true for us. It's why we made sure this subject was so early on in this series. You know, in week one, we, we cast the, the, the theme of what's your next step in thinking about that this year. And then we started talking about, well, what could those first steps be? It could be coming to know Jesus for the first time, salvation. It could be being baptized. And then today, we're talking about sharing faith. Because as soon as you become a follower of Jesus, you have a testimony to share. And so you can get started right away. Many of the believers who spread the good news of Jesus to the regions around Israel had been Christians for less than a year. Because Jesus had only been gone for a year. 
And so before we talk about any of the other early steps of being a follower of Jesus, you can already get started on this one. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can start this one today. Next week, we'll talk about discipleship and community and growing together in community and what that looks like. But we wanted to make sure that we talked about this one before that, because if we think that we need to learn and grow before we can start sharing our faith, well, then suddenly we can be 10 years into our faith journey and we still haven't done it because there's still more for us to learn and grow in. But there always will be, right? There always will be. So let's tell others the good news of Jesus now and learn the other stuff as we go. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've got a story to tell. You've got a story to tell how you came to know the love of Jesus and how that has changed your life. So let God know that you're keen to share it and watch how he gives you opportunities to do that. It might not be every day. It might not be loudly on the street corner, or maybe it will. But whatever it looks like, I'm confident that he will answer a prayer like that and he will give us opportunities. And so as I invite the worship team back up, I just want us to consider ourselves, if we're a follower of Jesus, to consider that um, that's who we are. That's what we do. We share our faith. We share our faith. We share the good news of Jesus. But if you wouldn't consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, today can be the day where you have a story to share. It can become that day. You see, this is the good news that we have to share. I don't know about you, but you know, sometimes when I look within myself, I, I see things that I'm not a fan of, things that I, I don't like, the ways that I behave, the ways that I think, the way that I treat others. And, and no matter how hard I try, those things always continue to exist in one form or another. But the good news is that Jesus, when he looked within himself, he doesn't have any of that. Because he came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. He faced all the same temptations that we face. He faced all the same trials that we face. But he didn't give in to any of them. And you see, for the rest of us, because of all that that goes on within us, eventually it brings about our demise, right? The things that we do to each other, the things that we do to ourselves, it, it ages us. It, it eventually brings about our death. But how do you kill somebody who hasn't ever done those things that bring about death? Well, you can't, right? It doesn't work. And so when other people had Jesus put to death, he hadn't done the things necessary to die. And so that meant that he was able to raise from the dead, that he didn't stay dead. And because he raised from the dead, it means that he then had power over death. He could decide who death claims. And so he was able to say, hey, death has no power over me, and it doesn't have to have any power over you. If you believe that I died for you, if you believe that I've done this for you, then you too can raise from the dead. When you die, you can be with me and you can return with me to this place when I come back. And that's the good news. That's the good news we have to share is that we have a hope for tomorrow. We have a hope for the future. We have a hope for today. When we look out in the world and we see things that discourage us or uh, it's just hard to see, we have a hope in Jesus that he's coming back and that he's changing lives right now as well. And that's the good news we have to share. And I would love for you to come to know that good news. And so that's something that you can do this morning. If you pray that prayer this morning, if you say, Jesus, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. And you are starting that story. You are starting that journey. He will come into your life and he will begin to shape you, mold you and guide you and lead you. So if you would like to do that, you can do that now. You can do that as we sing together in a moment. You can come down the front if you like. I'll be sitting down the front. If you'd like somebody to just talk to you more about what that is and what that looks like or pray with you as you do that, we're here to do that. But I'm telling you this now because I've got to. I've got to. As a follower of Jesus, that's what I do. That's what I do. I share the good news of Jesus. And for all of us here who are followers of Jesus, that's what we do. We share the good news. We share the faith that we have in Jesus. So let's let God know that we're keen and do it, that we're keen to do it and watch him give us 
opportunities. Watch him, how he provides us with those opportunities. I'm confident that he will. And that's true for those of us who are already followers of Jesus, but it'll be true for you if you become a follower of him today. So whatever that looks like, let's just let him know that we're keen. And then let's go out of this place and look for those opportunities that he's going to provide. We're sharing his good news is what we do. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for your good news. We are. It's changed our lives. We'll never be the same, and we are so, so grateful for that. But Lord, this is not a good news for us to keep to ourselves, and you made that clear to us before you left, that it's our job to go out and share this love with others. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would give us opportunities to do that. We're so keen. We're so keen, and we're so grateful that your Holy Spirit is with us and can go ahead of us and line up those opportunities and and bring them about so that we can share the good news with others. I pray that we would give that to you and we would listen for your promptings and we would answer those and respond to them and have confidence in them, Lord, that if you've prompted us, then if we're going to get to share the good news in that moment, that we can trust that you're going to be a part of that whole conversation and lead us through it. But God, we just want others to know what we've come to know. It's such a good thing. It's such a good thing, Lord. And so may we continue on doing that. May we make sure that we keep that at the forefront for us, Lord, that we would continue to stay on mission and continue to go out and make disciples of all nations, Lord. We're so grateful for your love, Lord. It's the whole reason why we're able to talk about this. It's the whole reason why we have this purpose, Lord. So thank you. Thank you. We pray these things in your name. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or after this message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find everything you'll need to know on our website, crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you subscribe to this channel to keep up to date with new content, but thanks again, and we'll catch you soon.